There's three things I'm going to say that uh, are going to help us find this freedom in Christ. First thing, we need to know what time of day it is. What day is it? What's the date today? Probably a question you've heard or asked yourself. But as Christians, we actually have another calendar we live by. You know, we have chronos time, chronological. But as Christians, we have this thing called kairos time. It's used in scripture. It's actually knowing what season, what moment we are in, not just the time of day. And so in other words, we take God's purposes and God's plans into account when we consider the time. We're on God's time as Christians. We're in Kairos time, in the midst of our Kronos time. So it says of Jesus in chapter 9 of the Gospel, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up. Now yes, you could say this means life is short. The days drew near for his time to be completed, and that's true, life is short. But there's more going on here. When it says the days drew near, it's talking about, in shorthand, in a cryptic way, Jesus' death, but also resurrection, and then ascension. Literally, when Jesus was to be assumed, his assumption. But every good Jew, we read about the Old Testament prophets, the, the prophets of old and the apostles knew that when we talk about the day, that the day of the Lord was actually the great day when God would judge the nations, when he would restore his people and himself be king and heal the world. And the resurrection, Jesus being taken up, his ascension to God's right hand, was the kickstart of God's day. What day is it? What time of day is it? So what, what's the pay dirt for that? What does that mean for us? Well, uh, it means that we're not only in the last days, okay? God's day of the Lord has come forward into the present in Jesus' resurrection, but we're not only in the last day, we're now in the first days of God's new creation. We're in this overlapping time, this kairos time. So what time of day is it? We need to know that God's new world has broken in to our world, and we need to live in light of it. We're in the last days, yes, we're also in the first days. So what does that mean in terms of the bitterness we harbor, the resentment we experience on a daily basis in this community here, in our families? Uh, well, you've heard it said from many people who've, who've lost someone, I wish I would have gone and spoke to them, right? If the days are short, if we're in the last days, what are you putting off? I wish I would have gone and, and said something. I wish I would have made it right. If only there had been time. Right? We're in the last days. We've uh, we got to know what time of day it is. At the same time, we're in the first days. And the first days of God's new creation mean that righteousness, justice, love, joy, peace, all the things we've read, these things are to be flourishing among us. So if we're in the first days, guys, bitterness, resentment, division, they have no place among us. We're in the first days of God's new creation. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, you know the verse, 2 Corinthians, the old has gone, the new has come. New creation. We have this by faith, by his spirit. And let's, let's start to embody and live it out together. So the first thing we need to know is that uh, 
We need to know what time of day it is. We're in God's time. And uh, the famous business writer, the, the famous book uh, from Stephen Covey, I think it was 50 Things That Successful People, whatever that, one of, what is, one of his first maxims was start with the what in mind. Start with the end in mind. How much more so as Christians who have been given this insight into God's time, this Kairos time, that we would have the heavenly vision so that we might be filled um, with his spirit to embody his, his life, his new life in our relationships. We gotta know what time of day it is. When Jesus knew that the days were, were drawing near for him to be taken up, what did he do second? He knew what time of day it was, but then knowing that time, he resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. His face was set towards Jerusalem. Really, this is shorthand for the whole Christian life, right? In the next 10 chapters of Luke, we're in Luke 9 through Luke 19, no less than 17 times, 17 times does the author Luke use these words, he was going to Jerusalem, or he set his face for Jerusalem. 17 times he wants us to know Jesus is turning towards the cross. For 10 chapters, that's a majority of the book, right? It's been called the journey narrative for that reason. All of us are on a journey, a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. And what is that pilgrimage? It's, it's a path of turning away from self, of dying from self, dying to self, and being filled with the Spirit. Guys, the end of our life, the end goal is that we might look like Christ. It says that when we see him, we'll be like him. And part of our journey then is to turn to the cross, uh, to be transformed in his image, and we do so by following him in the way of the cross. I was on a plane uh, to Jerusalem. I had the privilege of traveling there in 2004, and lots of, um, there were some Hasidic uh, Jewish uh, neighbors, and so, you know, all different kinds, and, and some of the more devout Jews on the plane, long trip from New York to Tel Aviv, would uh, get up and pray. And they didn't uh, just pray in their seats. They, we were facing Jerusalem. Um, but they would go to the front of the plane and face towards Jerusalem when they prayed. And even on the way back from uh, Tel Aviv back to New York, they'd go to the back of the plane and face towards Jerusalem. So there's this, there's this intentional sense of turning their hearts to the city. And in Christ, we don't, we don't have the shadow. We have the fullness where we, we turn to him by the Spirit. Second Corinthians says, um, Therefore, if anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into his glory, into his likeness from one glory to another. So we turn to the Lord. All right, so what does that look like practically, turning to Jerusalem, uh, following the way of the cross, it's definitely not follow the yellow brick road, okay? If you're trying, if you're wondering if you want to follow Christ this morning, if you're exploring, exploring, you know, whether or not you want to follow him as Lord, be warned, when Christ calls a man, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ bids a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So it's not follow the yellow brick road. But it is also not a funeral dirge. This is not a dowerful, depressing dirge that we're on as Christians. Ironically, the way of the cross is actually the way of abundant life and abiding peace. 
What did we read the fruits of the Spirit were? Love, joy, peace. It's the only way we will get our needs fulfilled and our desires satisfied. Why? Because in denying our old self, our life before Christ, our, our natural way of, of uh, being human now because of the fall, when we deny our old self, we tap into the Spirit of God who is life and fullness. It's the most alive kind of life. We heard it read from Psalm 16, right? This morning. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yes, there are pleasures in God's spirit that are beyond compare to this life. When we demand on going our way, the way of the yellow brick road, you could say, hey, I just want my three wishes granted from the wizard, right? Just give me all my dreams come true for me. What does it lead to? It ultimately leads to isolation, frustration, dissatisfaction. Listen to how Eugene Peterson describes the way of the flesh, the way of self, from Galatians 5 in his paraphrase of the message. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Can anyone identify with that? Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. He goes on to describe this, this ugly parody of community. God help us. Ego, sin, it ravages us in the community meant to reflect God to the world. Why, why do we continue to live in it? It's interesting, that list of vices, we normally, uh, if you've grown up in church, you kind of separate. Oh, there's you know, licentiousness, drunkenness, those are the really immoral ones. Those are the ungodly ones. And we skip over envy, divisions, jealousy, resentment. The scripture doesn't make any distinction. Those are all the ways of flesh, the ways of the self. So what's the solution? Requires salvation, Lord have mercy. Requires though our obedience and most importantly the power of the Spirit. It says of Jesus that he resolutely set his face. That's the literal translation of setting his face could be translated. He steadfastly set himself. Or he resolutely steeled himself in the will of the Father. You know, later in the gospel, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was to go to the cross. Lord, if it be possible, take this from me. Right? Take this cup from me. But what did he come to? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was obedient. And I want to say the solution is not for us to, hey, just say no. Just try harder. Just, just be harder on yourself. That's not going to work. We need to say yes to the Spirit. Because that is actually when we get in touch with it, when we quiet ourselves, when we come before God and we cry out. That's our deepest and truest desire is to follow Him. Is to follow the Spirit that He has placed in us. So we are called thank God, not to dying on behalf of the world. That's not the, the, the option we're considering. 
but rather to obey the Spirit of Christ who dwells within us. This is the way of crucifying the flesh, but it is also the way of life and peace. But make no mistake, all these ways of the flesh, that list that I read out before you that we heard this morning, those have no place among us. They are to be crucified. We have been crucified with Christ. That's our objective. That's what happened passively by faith and uh, by our baptism. We've been crucified with Christ. And now we subjectively, we actively crucify the flesh by saying yes to the Spirit and walking in the, in the, in the steps of the Spirit. Paul said, keep in step with the Spirit. It's a daily step-by-step thing. Finally, we have to know what time of day it is. We need to set our face for Jerusalem. Finally, we need to stay on mission. That's a way that we're going to be free from some of the hurts and and pains that um, we experience. What happened in our text? uh, The disciples go ahead to this village in Samaria. They don't accept the Messiah, the anointed of God, because he was set his face was set towards Jerusalem. They say, hey, we don't adhere to temple worship. We're not going to abide by this. We're not going to receive you, which is a huge slap in the face to Jesus. Disciples say, let's call down fire. They deserve it. What is Jesus' response? He rebukes, not the town. He rebukes his disciples. Why? Because he was on mission. His face was set for Jerusalem. He knew his days were short, and his mission was not about his own ego, but rather the redemption of the world. And thank God he accomplished it, that he stayed on mission. When we stay focused on mission, I think two things happen very quickly. Number one, we see that our fellow travelers on the way of the cross are not the enemy. If you look around to your left and right, or even to your spouse, your kids, we tend to confuse our fellow human beings, our fellow travelers, as the enemy. They're not the enemy. We see that actually our enemy is the enemy. The real enemy of our soul is the one who would seek to kill and destroy us. And the frustration, the bitterness we experience, even from another human being, is ultimately, it's beyond them. Okay? In seeing In keeping on mission, we can see who the real enemy is and we can take the pain that we experience to the cross where Jesus atoned for it and we can be wise as to who is seeking to actually hurt us. Secondly, and finally, it leaves the door open for reconciliation. When we stay focused on mission, it leaves the door open for God to work work in his spirit and his power. Uh, It it was uh, brought to my mind this morning, I think by the spirit, that this isn't the end of the story for the Samaritans. If you follow Luke-Acts, it was written actually as kind of a book one, book two. Acts 8, I won't um, take you there now, but Acts 8 lists the conversion of the villages of Samaria. It says this in uh, 8.12, But when they, the Samaritans, believed as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the one they had rejected, they were baptized, both men and women. And later it says, they went uh, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Can you believe that? The same village that rejected Jesus is now embracing him as Lord. When we stay focused on the mission, we see God's healing work and reconciliation in us, among us, and through us. So we need to know what time of day it is. We need to uh, turn our face towards Jerusalem, and we need to uh, stay focused on the mission Very quickly, um, we're going to end with 
a couple applications. How, okay, how do we apply this? I want to be free from bitterness. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to crucify the flesh. Uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> we have this. We have the spirit. We have the means of grace, the, the sacraments, the preaching of the word. So you're here. Um, but I want to say this very simply. If you're experiencing something, this sounds just silly, but it's obvious. If you're experiencing this bitterness, resentment, deal with it. <laughs> Don't avoid it. I'm not, I'm not um, accusing you, especially if you're a victim. You're not necessarily a perpetrator in this case, but quit shoving it under the rug. Deal with it. And we have amazing resources here at the cathedral, in fact, uh, for, you to, for you to deal with it. Uh, two I'll mention briefly. Uh, our own Summer Gross, who's here, is an ordained clergywoman in our church. Uh, she has a soul care ministry that is all about growing in communion with Christ and uh, experiencing freedom uh, from the sins and hurts that beset us as Christians. And we all have them. We all have baggage. We all have brokenness. So we need to deal with it. And they're called journey groups, and I'd commend them to you. There's one starting this fall. Uh, Dr. Henry and I are available. We have lots of books, uh, and I'll say, if, if you want to be free from one of these, come talk to us. Don't come talk to us if you just want to vent and, and vent your bitterness and resentment to us. But if you want to be free, then come talk to us. Uh, I also, um, maybe most importantly, want to mention our Stephen ministry, Stephen's ministry. Uh, Stephen was the first uh, martyr of the church. He was a deacon in the church. And um, we have a Stephen's ministry that is all about caring uh, for our uh, hurts, needs, and um, uh, Wynn Norris is a wonderful parishioner here, and they have an amazing ministry that you need to experience, Stephen Ministry. Um, all right, two more applications. Uh, you need to deal with it. Secondly, you got to serve together. You just got to go serve, because when you're on mission and you're serving, you actually tend to forget about some of the hurts and bitterness that you're experiencing. Ironically, we talked about welcoming and hospitality in Luke, and obviously Jesus and his disciples were not welcomed. What do you think are the ministries uh, at most churches, including this church, that tend to lack uh, the most volunteers and, and tend to be probably the hardest types of ministries? Hospitality and welcoming ministries. <laughs> so let's go be hospitable and welcome each other in the name of the Lord. Black, white, uh, African, Caribbean, American, we, we are one in Christ, and let's embody that together by participating in these ministries. Finally, um, let's set our face for Jerusalem, um, and I think you can do that in some practical ways. We have a Stations of the Cross prayer service here on Fridays at noon. Longtime brother Richard Brissett has been leading that, and it's been a, a blessing for me. We had six, six or seven of us here at noon this past Friday, and if you see these, um, these images around uh, the church around you here, you follow the way of the cross. You follow the story of Jesus' passion every Friday commemorating his death uh, at noon. And it, it keeps our eyes on the cross. Um, we have these Holy Cross prayer coins. I think Matt had a slide of this he was going to show. These aren't just, um, there they are. These aren't just little trinket Holy Cross things. Hey, let's, you know, Cheer for ourselves, we have coins. These are actually tools that you can use to cry out to the Lord. You see the prayer on there. Oh Lord my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. When you're struggling, when you're battling with the flesh and you need to crucify, you can take out one of these coins. They're in the back um, of the narthex here, right outside these doors. And you can hold them and, and maybe give someone else hope of the same, that cry out to God and he'll heal you. Um, I want us to see ourselves uh, in some ways as 
pieces of this puzzle here. Uh, the Jerusalem cross is a wonderful symbol for us as a church. We're Holy Cross Cathedral. And that all of us, our broken bits, our individual lives, we, we can take to the cross and Jesus can sum them up, put us together, and collectively, uh, we, by his grace, can bear our calling to be cross bearers, to reflect his life to the world. And we can only do so if we drop our ego. We take our little puzzle piece and bring it to the cross and say, Lord, make us new, make us whole. Um, we're here for you. Amen? Amen? When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem.